Hey, dear listeners, I want to thank our presenting sponsor, State Farm, for supporting Unqualified. State Farm has over 19,000 agents who would love to talk with you, especially about home and auto insurance. Please check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Do you want a burrito? I know you're a vegan. You do? They're not vegan. They're not vegan, but we do have guacamole and chips over there. Well, then I'm all set. Okay. I'll eat those as soon as we. uh, I'm not going to eat them on the show. I'm going to linger and eat chips. Good, good, good. And then I'm going to head out. No, okay. All right. I'm not saying I'm leaving right now. I'm saying when this is over, I'm going to head over there and I'm going to eat. Ooh, I see you have Raisin Bran too. Yeah. Now let's figure out who I am. Yeah, yeah. Should I start? Yeah. Matil Tig O'Callaghan Notaro, born March 24th, 1971, is an American stand-up comic, writer, radio contributor, and actress. Can you slow down a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got excited. And I saw all the things I could do. She is known for her deadpan comedy. Her acclaimed album, Live, was nominated in 2014 for the Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album at the 56th Annual Grammy Awards. I lost. Well, maybe speed it up just a little. <laughs> the special Tignotaro Boyish Girl Interrupted was nominated in 2016 at the 68th Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing for a Variety Special. Didn't win. It also was nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album at the 59th Annual Grammy Awards. Let's get to it. This is really thrilling for me to have you here. May I call you Tig? In quotes, yes. Okay. (laughs) But but I appreciate it. I was told to bring something weird. Yeah, did you? Orange juice. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it's just an it's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about how you are famously deadpan, and I'm sure everyone talks about this. But I was thinking about how on late night talk shows you are remarkably steady and hysterical, Thanks. and I am like a rabbit that's about to be slaughtered or something that's like super eager. And I take on this other persona. If only it knew. It probably doesn't know that it's going to be slaughtered. I don't know. I don't either. I mean... But I know what you're saying. Yeah. Anxious. Yeah. Scared. Walk me through the process. Because when I do the pre-interview for a talk show, I never have a good story. There's like nothing like I I can pitch to them. Yeah. I feel like I'm always letting them down. Mm. And then when I actually do the show... I'm also letting the host down. I imagine you're being too hard on yourself about talk shows. There's no way that talk show hosts are like, well, that was a disaster. They laugh too loud at stupid things out of awkwardness. Why do you think those make you nervous, the talk shows? I know it makes people nervous. I'm not comfortable in my own skin in general, Mm -hmm. as you can probably tell. No. (laughs) You seem fine. <laughs> I don't know. I love you already. I, I knew it. And I you. <laughs> I think it might be different for a stand-up, though, right? I don't know. I think all stand-ups are different. No. Yes. Nope. You're all the same. Nope. All I've people are different. Research. All stand-ups are different. I don't think so. A lot are the same. But I think there's some part of me, and I don't know where it went or what happened, but I just don't think... I'm having a big moment. I don't think somebody is greater than me. I don't think I'm greater than someone. I can see like, oh, this is special or fun, but I'm not like, oh my God. You're not thinking that everything's hanging on that? On anything. I think I had that already in me. I do too, because you dropped out of high school, right? So you knew that there was a part of you that was headed for greatness. 
Well, if you could have known me at that point. <laughs> well, I failed eighth grade twice, and then I failed it again, and then they just moved me up to ninth grade. And then, and then I dropped out in ninth grade. Yeah. So I was like 47 mm-hmm. when I dropped mm-hmm. out. You know, I had a really close friend that had dropped out of high school. And I think that got me thinking about it. And I was like, oh, he dropped out. Maybe I'll drop out because I really hated school. What did you hate about it? Every Fucking part thing. of it. Yeah. I, homework and schoolwork. And, um, but what about the social aspect? You must have loved that part. I mean, I enjoyed my my gaggle of friends. They were all, you know, musician guys, and I'm still friends with my friends from mm. from my childhood. Okay, if you went to a high school reunion, what do you think people would say about you? How would they describe you? Because <laughs> that's the only reason you go to a high school I, I reunion. I can't imagine going to a reunion. Have you been to one? Yeah, I went to my twentieth. How long ago uh, was that? Solid. Well, let's see. I graduated in '94, so I guess that was 2014. And uh, and that was your 20-year high school reunion. Yeah. Were you excited to go to that? No, no, Why I wasn't. Did you go? My brother got contacted by some people that went to my school, and I you wanted know. to sign autographs. That would be incredible. I wanted to take a bite. set up a table. Selfies. The big relief of the night was that people described me the way that I remembered myself, which was quiet and sort of non-existent, which is how I remembered my high school experience. Where are I, you from? I grew up north of Seattle. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's beautiful up there. It is really pretty. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. I feel like people would describe me as... I'm remembering you asked me that, right? Yeah. I think they would say I was funny and cool. Oh, damn. And then you're just like, I'm leaving out you. Of here. Yeah. But then you were like, no. Nope. I was like, I got to get out of here. Yep. <laughs> Going to the city of angels. Well, no, I, I didn't come here until um, quite a while after because I was working in music business and doing stuff like that. So I was also going to ask you what your most favorite job outside of the entertainment industry was and your least favorite job? Um, My most favorite? Well, I think my first job because my rock and roll buddies, they all worked at this pizza place. What was it called? Lakewood Pizza. And we all worked together, me and these three guys. And still to this day, I always feel like if I had to have a job outside of stand-up, I would deliver pizzas because I like, I really liked that time period. I would really love getting in the car, driving to someone's house, listening to music and smelling pizza yeah, and then getting tips. I just don't understand what job is better than delivering pizza. Dear listeners, I want to thank our presenting sponsor, State Farm. State Farm agents know that life is unpredictable and anything can happen. Like the time when my brother Bob's get-rich-quick boa constrictor breeding program came to an abrupt halt when Marge made her escape. Bob wasn't quick enough and Marge disappeared through a vent in the garage wall. My parents weren't home and Bob made the quick decision to open up the wall with a saw and hammer. Over the next hour, I just watched him destroy the garage while I eagerly anticipated my parents' return. Eventually, Marge was rescued and State Farm was there to help repair the damage she caused. Marge also turned out to be a boy snake. And Bob's breeding program never quite took off. From home and auto insurance to investments in banking, State Farm agents are there for you as you face the unexpected, manage the risks of everyday living, and build your dreams. With over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the country, there's an agent near you who can help fix your garage and understand the frustration you feel when your brother isn't grounded. Check out statefarm.com to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. 
Hey, dear sweet listeners, I want to thank Stitch Fix for supporting Unqualified, and I want to thank all of you for listening. Does any parent have an easy time getting their kid dressed for school? I sure don't. Overnight, a favorite shirt becomes too small. That superhero sweatshirt isn't as cool as it once was. And before you know it, your son begins to notice that his friends have matching socks. Now, okay, I'm about to tell you guys a true story. It actually happened, but, you know, don't get too excited. It's not that interesting. I am a parent. No one's going to make a movie about it. My son, Jack, who's seven, came home from school and asked if we could shop on Stitch Fix after dinner. That is the story. But Stitch Fix Kids is an online personal styling service for your kids that delivers clothes, shoes, accessories directly to your door. No more afternoons spent at the mall with the son who would also rather be doing anything else. After completing the style profile quiz, your personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your style and preferences. There's no subscription required, and you can choose between automatic shipments or getting new clothes when you grow out of the old ones. Shipping exchanges and returns are always free. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash kids slash Anna to try Stitch Fix and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. And as a bonus, Stitch Fix will waive the $20 styling fee when you use this show's special URL. That's stitchfix.com slash kids slash Anna. Stitchfix.com slash kids slash Anna. I was up in um, Orcas Island. Yeah, isn't it gorgeous? Oh my god! What were you doing up there? My wife was booked in a movie, and then she couldn't do it. And they had asked me to do a one-day role on the movie, yeah. where she was one of the stars. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll go up and do a day on the movie, and then we can bring the boys and just have a little vacation." And then Stephanie couldn't do it anymore. And then I thought, "Well, I'll." still just go do my day. And I did not read the script. <laughs> and I just said yes to this. And luckily, this movie isn't coming out. It completely fell apart. But I arrived in Orcas Island, and I was in a penis suit, abandoned in the woods. I really want this movie to come out. It's not coming out. Shit. It's on lockdown. But you kept the penis outfit, right? No. No, I didn't. I should have. I really should have. Yeah. I thought I was being pranked. When they, and that's when I realized I should have read the script. I didn't do my homework there either. <laughs> I didn't do my homework. But you liked Orcas Island, though. I considered I would abandon my life and just move out there. But Stephanie's pretty attached to Los Angeles. Where is she from? Los Angeles and New York. She went back and forth. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of sophisticated to be bi-coastal. Like. Yeah, but it's not what you think. Let me be more specific. Orange County and Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, she's sophisticated, certainly, but it's not like she was jetting back and forth between Hollywood and Manhattan. Can I ask you something else? Though? Yeah. When you found out you were having twins. We did IVF. We put in three embryos, we hoped for twins, and we got them. And now they live in our house. My God. And it's hard. Max and Finn. Yeah. They're going to have their own secret language. Mm -hmm. Do you want to hear something crazy? Yeah. When I was fueling up the car to go to the hospital yeah. for their birth, I pulled into the gas station, and the car in front of me, I promise you, had a piece of paper taped to the back window that said Finn Max. What was that about? That was my question. And I Googled it, and it's a production company. I was like, took a picture of it, and I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I want to hear about worst jobs, too. So you worked at a coffee shop. Yeah. Well, that wasn't your worst job, though. It wasn't great. I mean, it was when I first moved to Los Angeles. Was it like a chain? No, no. It was known as a lesbian coffee shop in West Hollywood. It's called Little Frida's. And I worked behind the counter. And I remember there was a line 
out the door for coffee. All the time? No, this one moment. And I'm behind the cash register trying to, you know, punch in the numbers. I messed it up. I had to get my, my boss to come help me. And this woman said, you know, it's not too late to go back to college or to go to college. And then, um, oh, man, I was so humiliated. Oh, what a fucking bitch. That was with a line waiting. Mm. And I said to my boss, I was like, God, I want to go out to there and interrupt her and her friends. And I just want to say, oh, you know what? Because of you, I just quit my job and I, I'm going off to college. And, and I remember my boss said, who is still a friend of mine, and she said, that'll do nothing. What you should do, and I will support this, is go out to her table and say what you said to me was so offensive and inappropriate. And she said, you know, you can't fight fire with fire. So going out there and being sarcastic is not going to do anything. And you'd be the bigger person if you just were direct. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It changed my life. I didn't go out and do it, but it changed my life. <laughs> that moment did change my life. And I, I use sarcasm all the time. But when I have to be serious or to the point, I really try. And it's because of that moment. I had this moment when I was, uh, uh, I think, flying back from Vancouver, having like just made Scary Movie. or There was somewhere in that time frame. But I was sitting on a plane next to this older gentleman, and he was making small talk with me, which normally it's always the reverse. But uh, he said, so, you know, what, what do you do? Where do you live or whatever? I said, oh, I live in Los Angeles. And I, I remember being proud of of being a working actor. And he said, you know, so what do you do? Which I knew he was going to. And then I was like excited to be able to tell him like, oh, I'm an actor. And he said, so that really means you're a waitress. Mm -hmm. So this is how this person views me is that I'm a liar or a dreamer or both or delusional. Delusional, and, probably. And attempting to present myself as something other than I was, because I was so proud to be a working actor. Well, probably in his head, he was like, oh, I don't recognize you, so you're not famous, probably. I think so. I also was, like, sitting in 37D. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never forget that seat. I'll never forget that seat. I'll never forget it. I don't know. But those moments. But they, I don't know. Are they character? But they are, I guess. Yeah. Right? Of course. Are those your questions for me? Mm, sort of. Do you want me to just go through them and answer them? Yeah. Are you ready? No. no. Do you want me to just read them? Question right. number four. What is the weirdest thing in my house? Um, probably my son. Which one? Max. The other day he said, with no prompting. Yeah. It can be tricky to touch a bird. And I was like, oh, you are right. You are right about that. It can be tricky to touch a bird. He's three. And how much time he has spent looking at a bird and thinking, or trying to touch a bird, and just out of nowhere, just, it can be tricky to touch a bird. Yeah. Oh, God, that's, like, heartbreaking and hysterical at once. It's, it's the greatest sentence ever put together, that combo of words. When Jack was three, my son, we were on Do you on have a, one kid? Yeah. Okay. He, we were on a flight up to Seattle, and we start to descend. And the plane, at this point, you know, upon descension, gets a little bit quieter. And he said, Mommy, we're going down! <laughs> Oh my gosh, I saw my son, Finn, playing on the kitchen floor today, and he was doing something with cars, and he, I heard He's him say... He's not the bird toucher. No, that's Max. And I just saw him in his own world, and then I heard him say, it's go time. Yeah! And I said, Finn, it's go time? He got so embarrassed oh, that no. I heard him in his little oh. world. <laughs> oh, Finn, I'm going to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Oh, no. Max would come on, and Max. he would talk to you about how tricky birds are to touch. Yeah. Well, they are. 
but Finn would he'd crawl in that box and shut it. You must see radically different personalities out of them. Mm-hmm. Even though I kind of think that they're speaking a secret language and they might just like murder They're not you identical both. twins. I find it interesting when people see them and they're like, whoa, how do you tell them apart? And like, they are so different. You just heard they were twins and now you're acting like it's... Yeah, but don't all people kind of look alike? Sure. I have this condition. It's called prosopognosia, and it's when you don't have the ability to recognize a face. The president of Ellen's production company has that. Really? Yeah. How'd you know it was me when I came in? Because they were like, Tig! Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had other people tell me. So if I see you someplace, you'll... Oh, this is what I'll do. Are you ready? Yeah. I'll be like, oh my gosh, great to see you. How is everything? That's and then good I'll, enough. I'll start to search for clues. Like, so when was the and last time? And I'm like, time? hold on, I gotta get my orange juice. And then you're like, orange juice. Is that you, In the Tig? afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. My, my nightcap. Here's Max and Finn. Well, they are just disgusting. But come on, you can tell them apart. No, you can't. I don't think you can. Are you kidding me? No, no. They look exactly alike. You're out of your mind. Okay, you know what I'm going to show you? All right. This is them on their way Our to school. Our listeners are going to love this. I'm not here to please anybody. Okay, are you? look. <laughs> Nothing. Oh. They don't look alike. Yeah, you might be right. I'm, I know I'm right. I, they're my roommates. And they're adorable. They're pretty cute. They're really cute. Yeah. Are you guys doing Halloween? Yeah, they're I obsessed. Hate Halloween. I know all I kids. I was never into uh, Halloween. I wasn't either. I don't like it. Yeah, I wasn't into it. And then I after get candy I had my them, own way. Yeah. Right, Tig? What kind of candy do you like? I like a little Reese's Pieces. I feel like you don't want to talk about candy. I don't really. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't I'm know. sorry to bother you. Do you like you candy? With that? I feel like you. Gummy worms are fine. Yeah. You know, gummy things. No, what about a Sour Patch child? Sure. Nah, that just made my mouth water. I know, I know. I like dark chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. All With right. maybe some sea salt and almond in there. But I'm not somebody that's sitting around just like, hey, I'll be on the couch having some candy. That's where you can find me at the end of my day. Where, where, where could we find you at the end of the day? Well, I put Max and Finn to bed. At 7.30, and then I brush my teeth, I wash my face, pretty much go to bed. Do you uh, wash your face every night? Mm. I feel like that's admirable. You don't? No. Oh, come on. Well, they wash your face for you here, right? No. Yeah. I, should make that I know how Hollywood works. <laughs> you get makeup face, and then they wipe it off. Oh, not really. Put a little lotion on there. I get a little impatient. I'm like, I just go home and watch a program. What programs do you... Are you drawn to? Well, lately, my sweetheart and I have been watching Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. What programs are you watching? I'm not really much of a program person, I'll be honest with you. So what do you do at night? I really don't know what I do. Are you one of those fall sleepers? No, 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 no. Oh. Max and Finn wake up between 4 and 5 in the morning. So I'm done with my day at like 8. And I have a regular show in Los Angeles every month, and I move the start time to 7 p.m. because I can't do 8.30 anymore. I can't do it. Is it it at Largo? Mm Mm-hmm. I want to come see it. And I have a live talk show that you'll have to come. I would love to. Would you? Yeah, I would love to. I have to tell you, I was so nervous about you coming here because I am such a big fan. And it is so true. Well, I appreciate I, that. But uh, what is the nerves about? Because I really admire you. Uh, you're fucking hysterical. And and the arc of your storytelling is fascinating to me. And when you tell your Taylor Dane story, mm-hmm. you go through these moments where there's like the recognition of of being a fangirl. But then also like, but I'm going to push this. But the fan part... I wrote that before I had cancer. So that element was still in me of where I'm not nervous to go up to Taylor Dane. To go back to that point when you were saying, how are you comfortable and 
on a talk show. That story, I think, shows that. I'm genuinely a fan of Taylor Danes, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous to go up to, I was just like, hey, I love your stuff. And then she was rude. And then I was like, that's hilarious. And then so when I kept seeing her, it just became a science project to me. So has your comedy changed from before, like pre-cancer mm-hmm. to post-cancer? It has, because when I went on stage, I mean, my, my comedy has changed since the first time I ever told jokes. When I first started, I was doing very, I was all about the written word. It was very concise. It was real tidy. This is my little joke, and I would deliver it, and then I would deliver another joke and another joke, and I would leave the stage. And then as time would go on, I I remember I wrote a three-and-a-half-minute joke, and then I remember wanting to utilize a prop. The stool. The stool, yeah. I love the stool. You're kind. And then when I wrote Taylor Dane, that was a like a 14-minute story. And then when I had cancer and I went on stage, I had never shared personal details, like really personal, even though everything I've shared on stage is always born out of truth. I hadn't really exposed personal details. And so that changed in that moment. There have been times in my process of performing and writing where I've thought, well, I can't do this because I've written one-liners. I can't do a three-minute joke. And then I thought, well, I want to push this stool, but that's not really my thing. I just stand here and tell jokes. And then I thought, I want to do it. So I did it. Taylor Dane's 14 Minutes, I did that. I said that I had cancer. And I feel like you can get stuck in a corner if you start to believe that you're the one-liner person or you're the storyteller or you're the truth-teller or you're the prop comic. And, And if you really want to do something else, you should do something else. And in that moment when I went on stage, when I had been diagnosed with cancer. I thought, (laughs) I've never done this, but I'm just going to share what's going on. And after that, it just became one more thing that changed in my process. When I started uh, this podcast, part of it was a reaction with being on this show that I love, Mom. And I love doing the show, but I didn't have any sense of creative control or the idea of narrative over my own life. Not that that was my purpose necessarily, but it became like this side effect. Yeah. I like what the podcast has, has given me that I didn't expect, like feeling that I can be vulnerable in a way that I didn't I didn't recognize before. I guess. I'm allowing myself to share personal details in my stand-up, but I also am not believing the press where people describe me as, you know, I bear it all on stage and I tell these stories and I, you know, I... What makes you resistant to that? I'm not. I'm saying that's a part of me. Right. But there's also nonsense. Right. I love silly nonsense. And I'm not just going to, you know, my album exploded after I came out with my personal stuff that was going on. And I could have believed, well, this is the new me now. This is what I do. I find the truth and the hard stuff and the comedy. That's there. I'm happy to talk about it. But I've also allowed myself to swing in the other direction and just do utter nonsense because I feel like whether it's one-liners, Taylor Dane for 14 minutes, saying that I have cancer and making light of it, pushing a stool across the stage, I want to have the freedom to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. I have an Instagram account for my cat and it was only my cat. And then I started doing more stuff like I would appear in a picture and then And then all of a sudden, it was my Instagram account. And then I just, one day, maybe only a month ago, I was like, oh, oh, God. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I just deleted it. But 
What was the impetus for that? I felt like I was in this abyss where I was like, what am I doing? What am I looking for? Why am I? I don't know. It just felt, it just felt weird. It's not like a judgment about it. I just, I was curious if I really felt attached to that or if I was just doing it because that's what people do. And then when I deleted it, I've never looked back. Maybe tonight I'll post something on my cat's Instagram, but I'm like, well, what was that all about? I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I find it like looking through like women's magazines mm-hmm. where you, after you put it down, you feel bad about yourself. That constant looking for approval. I just don't find a ton of fulfillment out of it. Mm-hmm. I, having said that, I love it when people like things or whatever, but I just don't know if it is Cinderella's shoe for me. Right. I just don't know. I don't know either. It's like people signing your yearbook. Yeah. Have a great summer or we're going to be friends forever. Yeah. Like, what? what is it going to be? What's it going <laughs> to be? What's it going to be? So your burritos are specifically for this podcast? Yeah. And who supplies the burritos? Do you need to know? Yeah. Why? Who picks up the burritos? Danny. Hey, dear listeners, this week of Unqualified is brought to you in part by HelloFresh. I love to cook, but hate going to the grocery store. I think, you know, I'm a little bit agoraphobic because I really don't like leaving my house or I could just also be a little lazy. My mom is an excellent cook and I'm a little bit competitive. She's you know, she's always giving me suggestions on how to improve whatever it is I'm making. And of course, I hate it when she's right, which, you know, she always is. But my parents were over for dinner the other night, and I sort of let my mom believe that the amazing maple and mustard glazed pork chops were my own creation. She didn't offer a single tip or criticism and even complimented my roasted potatoes. And she makes amazing potatoes. I could tell she was really proud of me, and I'm Wayne my guilt with not wanting to disappoint her. HelloFresh meals are basically the same as making a meal from scratch anyhow, but without the guesswork or trip to the grocery. I don't think that pre-measured ingredients with step-by-step recipes count as cheating. I made a delicious meal in 30 minutes. My mom was so impressed, so I don't think I need to confess to anything. Well, also, well, maybe I should, but other things. <laughs> Not in relation to HelloFresh. Of course, this will be the one episode of the podcast that she decides to listen to. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit with easy seasonal recipes and fresh ingredients delivered right to your door. There's something for everyone from family meals to calorie smart and vegetarian choices. All you have to do is cook and enjoy for a limited time only get nine free meals with hello fresh, go to hellofreshcom slash Anna Ferris nine and enter Anna Ferris nine. That's nine free meals with hello fresh by going to hellofreshcom slash Anna Ferris nine and entering code Anna Ferris nine, A-N-N-A-F-A-R-I-S nine. And I love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of Unqualified. And thank you for supporting our sponsors. Hey, dear listeners, I think I told you about the Chrysler Pacifica's best-in-class storage capacity and the journey of my new houseplant, which began with the fold-down second and third row seats magically disappearing into the floor. It was incredible. On the same adventure, I also made use of something called Stow and Go Assist, which lets you slide the front seats forward so you can access the in-floor storage bins. The Pacifica is a 2019 top safety pick with features like forward collision warning, active braking, lane departure warning, and a 360-degree surround view cameras that come in handy when you block the back window with a large shrub. Under the same circumstances, the parallel and perpendicular park assist was also more than helpful. I also consider the Uconnect theater system to be a safety feature with 20 speakers at the proper volume and windows down. Notorious B.I.G. 
lets everyone know I'm coming. And thanks to the wireless headphones and 10-inch touchscreens, I can play the music I want to hear without my son Jack, you know, learning any new words. The all-blacked-out exterior and blacked-out 20-inch wheels complete my image. (laughs) So Chrysler is offering unqualified listeners two offers. Employee pricing on 2019 model year Chrysler Pacifica models, or you can visit PacificaIsQualified.com to receive a $1,000 offer on a Chrysler Pacifica hybrid model. That's all one word, P-A-C-I-F-I-C-A-I-S-Q-U-A-L-I-F-I-E-D.com. I love you, dear listeners. Thank you so much for being a part of Unqualified. And thank you so much for supporting our sponsors. So on this podcast, yeah. which I'm sure you've listened to a ton of yeah. before you got here, yeah. we call strangers. You call them. Yeah. They've submitted questions okay. and, uh, and then we call them okay. and, and they ask us their advice questions okay. and we attempt to give them advice. I Let's bet your it. advice is going to be way better than mine. It's usually the case. Oh, here's my page. Okay. So first we are calling Abby. All right. Let's call Abby. Hello. Is this Abby? Yes, this is. Abby, hi. It's Anna, and I'm here with Tig. Tig Nataro. Oh, hi. Hi. Yeah. Abby, it's me. Hi. I actually just watched one of your, I watched like a Netflix special of yours the other day, actually. Oh, well, here I am. Hey, Abby, thank you so much for writing in to us. Tell us what's going on. Thanks so much for having me. So my mom and my boyfriend, they currently are not speaking. A little backstory is uh, my boyfriend and I just moved to Minnesota from Ohio, um, away from all of our friends and family, because I got a job promotion. Congrats. Thank you. And so we moved, and I asked my mom to actually come up and help decorate just so she could be a part of the process, because I know that, you know, moms love doing that. So she came for about a week. Everything was going okay. And then all of a sudden, I left the room, came back, and they were having an argument. They spent some time apart for about two hours, came back together, and it turned into a full-on screaming match. And my mom ended up leaving early, and they haven't talked since. Um, And recently, my sister got married, and I actually uninvited my boyfriend because I just didn't want the energy at her big day. So I was just wondering how I can navigate this without having to completely just like live two lives and like see my family alone or, you know, that sort of stuff. (laughs) Oh, Abby, this is so hard. Okay. So wait, a few questions. Had they had tension prior to the big blowout? A little bit. They've never really been close. When my boyfriend and I first got together, actually, I wasn't really talking to my family because I was going through my own sort of thing. And then, you know, when I started talking to them again, they were, my mom has always been kind of tentative about it just because I think she's worried to get too much in my business, I guess. I don't know. I mean, they've never been close, but I don't think there's been any like animosity. Can you be a little more specific about what the the argument was about? Or do you feel comfortable talking about that? So we have cats and my mom is allergic. So we left our cats in one of our bedrooms just so that way she wouldn't have to deal with it. And he just, he made a comment like, oh, hey, I'm going to go get our cats a special treat since they've been locked up in the room. And I think my mom took it the wrong way that he was taking it as, you know, like, how dare you, you know, we have to lock our cats up. So she kind of took it personally. And then it just kind of like cannonballed from there. Tig, do you have any early analysis I don't have an analysis, but I do have something to say. I have, uh, you're catching me, Abby, right in the middle of a life-changing time for myself. And it has to do with conflict and how to deal with it. And one of the things that I realized in my soul searching was that And I don't know if you're open to this or your boyfriend would ever be open to this or your mother would be open to this. And it's something that I've started implementing in my life. And again, I don't know your mother's personality and I really don't know your boyfriend. But if one of them is more open to this, 
here's what I suggest you do. And this is genuine. And this is what I'm doing in my life. When there's a conflict, no matter what the conflict is, completely search for what your part in the conflict is and apologize for it and own what you did with zero expectation of the other person apologizing. It's the most freeing thing you can do because it really puts everything off of you onto the other person, then they have to reflect. And then you see, are they willing to or able to reflect? And if they're not, then they're not. But you can't expect anything more from them. It's That's true. Good. It's, it's really yeah. good. Like in any conflict, just say, I can see that. I could have handled it this way. And it's not that you're saying or that they're saying the other person is perfect or not at fault in any way. It's just you're 100% taking responsibility and owning what you could have done differently or better. Does Abby tell her mom, mom, you know, I really wanted you to be very comfortable in our home. And I love you so much. And I'm sorry that that wasn't the case. Or just even, there's so many different ways I think you could go about this. You could talk to your boyfriend and say, would you be open to talking to my mother in this way? Or if your mother's more open to it, ask her if she'd be willing to talk to your boyfriend that way. Or you could approach them both and just say, hey, here's my involvement. Here's what maybe I've, I could have done differently in our dynamic between the three of us. And I want to apologize for putting us in this situation in this manner, or here's where I'm responsible or at fault. Without any kind of but, right? Yeah. There's not, you're not asking anything of anyone else. You can say, I'm open. If you have any feelings or thoughts, but that's where I am. But I'm telling you, Abby, you're catching me. I'm right in the middle of figuring this out and trying that out for myself. I just think, okay, who has what agenda? Because there isn't any reason for her mom and boyfriend to be at odds. Yeah. The other question is, though, do you envision a long future with your boyfriend? Yeah, absolutely. You know what else is really important? <laughs> if you really picture a long relationship with him, you need to put boundaries and a bubble around the two of you. If you consider that your primary relationship, you should be like, nothing is going to infiltrate this relationship. Nothing is going to infiltrate this love. And if you can't maintain that bubble, then there's going to be stuff that's going to get in there and be troublesome. Right. So the thing is, like, my mom and we are really close. We talk, like, weekly. Um, Like, I call her. And, you know, we have a good relationship. It's just she does make comments to me all the time about how she doesn't want to see me fall into the same pattern that she did. And she doesn't want me to marry someone like my father. And, like, she makes comments like that. And she feels she's helping me. But it does just kind of a wedge between us. Because then I feel like I can't tell her anything about my life because... Tell her you don't want her to rob you of your own experience in life, that you, you have your, your path and you have your lessons to learn and not to rob you of that. Yeah. This is a journey that you have to go on, even if your heart gets broken or whatever, it's not something that she can protect you from. Right. Yeah. And we all have to go through that. In fact, I believe that if we don't, then we're not fully formed people. I appreciate it. Who do you feel like a little more irked with your mom or your boyfriend? I I would say my mom at this point, just because my boyfriend, he doesn't make any comments about my mom. You know, he he's mentioned that he would like to apologize. And I've kind of tried gauging it with her. And she, you know, still kind of she's she's holding a grudge for sure. Whereas he, you know, he feels terrible and he wants to apologize. And she more or less just she kind of wrote him off. That seems weird to me because she should be kind of the adult. You got to put that bubble around your relationship, Abby. Yeah. You got to take care of you and Mr. Handsome Face. (laughs) That's probably what I'm going to have to do just so I can keep my sanity, it feels. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that Tig is right. Protect the relationship. 
Abby, do you think you've always had tension issues with your mom? Yeah, my mom and I are very similar in the worst ways, it seems. <laughs> so there's always been a little bit of tension. I love her to death, but yeah, I mean, you know, as I get older, I realize that it's okay to distance myself a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Wait, and do you have a sister? I do have a sister, yeah. Older or younger? Older. And is she married? Yeah, she recently just got married. And does she have kids? She does not. Does your mother like who your sister married? Loves them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the perfect man. He's, you know, from a small town. His family lived. They're all very close. It's, yeah. He's so like focus is husband. All, <laughs> all on you. So it's like any time people who are addicted to drama, they yeah. need to like recalibrate their focus. And it's a subconscious move. I think it's just a process of, of understanding where people's motivations are coming from. And if she's lonely, she doesn't even realize that she's doing this. She needs to refocus her drama on on something else. And I think it's just important that you recognize that I come from a family of this. This is like so up my alley. My mom and her two <laughs> sisters. Oh, my God. But I love them. They're like two pieces of, of reflection there. And both party members are taking up your energy and and, yeah. your, and your kindness. And they're, you know, worthy of some, some uh, introspection that's private and selfish, you know? Um, yeah, that makes total sense. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I just, I you know, I think that both party members are thinking that they're protecting you or their relationship with you but maybe yeah. maybe you really need... it's just stressing me out yes yes which they should not do which they should right. do agreed i know that your your call is going to uh, resonate with listeners and i would really love to be in touch with you and i'm sorry that you're being pulled between two people that you love thank you so much i will i'll keep in touch i promise all right thanks abby Talk to you in the morning. Thanks so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Your advice, Tig, was amazing. I'm but right in the I middle like, of it. How do you ask within 20 minutes? Do you love your boyfriend? You just ask as much as he loves you. Sure. Like ask. what's the, like? Get down to it. I'll okay. Ask the hard oh, yeah. questions. All right. Hello. Hi, Jerry. It's Anna Ferris. Oh, hey, Anna. Hi. It said unknown, and I was like, who is this? Hi. I love it. It feels like we're fast friends. I'm here with Tig Nataro. Hey, Jerbear. Oh, my God. Everyone calls me that. I really? figured I was jumping into a long line. <laughs> um, Anna, uh, first of all, you have no idea how emotionally scary this is, but, like, in a really, really fun way. So, just FYI. Oh, good. And is it weird if I say the feeling is mutual? Uh, no, no, yes, I'm, I'm always again, great. <laughs> I'm always scared to pretend like I have the answers to anything. And and anyway, Jerry, thank you so much for for doing this, for submitting a question. And Tig and I are, are here for you in a very unqualified way. <laughs> Uh, Tig, also, um, Ellen DeGeneres introduced me to you. Mm -hmm. uh, not in, like in person, but like on her show. Sure. So uh, sh this led me to watch her comedy specials and, again, thoroughly enjoyed them. So thank I'm not going to repeat your comedy to you, but thank you. Thanks, Jer Bear. <laughs> I will keep this brief and short, but I've been dating this guy for like almost 10 months. I like him a lot. Um, he's two years older than I am, but has never been in a serious gay relationship until now. His parents died when he was younger and keeps mostly in contact with just his uncle. He is socially introverted and mostly works on his computer. Uh, he can be very attached but and honest, but also emotionally distant and reserved, if that makes any sense. Sure. We've been through various breaks and even a breakup, mostly due to his need for space. The breakup was because he felt bored in the relationship. And because he wanted someone more like him in the sense of, like, intellectual interest and someone who was probably also as introverted as he is. I like to invest my time in 
energy into a relationship. But ever since the breakup, I kind of just felt afraid by the uncertainty. If, again, if that makes any sense. He says he cares about me, but at times it just feels like I'm just a placeholder until something better comes along for him. I've even suggested that he, he should date other you? people to we cheat. That I'm a placeholder? Yeah. No, he didn't. It feels that way. You, it feels you feel that way. Uh, yes, and I've even mentioned this to him because he, uh, you know, he talks to me about friends that he talks to and then they have things in common. He's very reserved and he's very into science and into math. And, you know, I know math, but uh, I have a limit. And he just talks to me about these people. And then it seems like he's infatuated with said people. And I'm like, well, that's what friends are for. I'm not necessarily like that, but if you like me in a romantic way, we can make things work. So I feel like he likes me. He likes that he can trust me. He likes that he can spend time with me and have, you know, intellectual conversations to an extent with me, but I don't really fulfill all of those things that he needs, which is fine. But if he wants that, then, you know, uh, then, you know, there's no necessarily point in being together, or at least that's what I think. And that's what I told him. I'm like, if that's what you're looking for, go ahead and look into it. And if you don't, well, I'm here. And he said that he doesn't want to. And he plans to move to Seattle in a year or so for school. And we've talked about that. And he's expressed interest in making things work until then. So therefore, my question is like, do I stay on board, deal with the uncertainty and the probable future breaks and see how things go? Or do I just like protect my heart, give him his space, allow him to figure himself out? I think you should mirror what he does. I think that you give mirror him. Mirror what he does? Yeah, I think you give him space. And if he reaches out to you, respond or, you know, if he wants to spend time together. But I mean, I wouldn't invest too much. I always think in terms of, if you're interested in buying a car, you're going to make sure you get a down payment and you go and you talk to the dealership and you're like, I want, I want that car. You know, you should uh -huh. be doing that. He should be doing that. You don't just kind of let the car sit and go, yeah, I, I want it. Cause you know, somebody else is going to buy the car. It do, it does seem like Jay from, from what you've told us that the things don't add up, you know? They don't. Uh, yeah. Emo emotionally, I feel more invested than he is. Yeah. Then that's, you got to. That's an incredibly honest thing that you just said, though. That's awesome that you got to that place. And the fact that you recognize that. And also, you are recognizing that, yeah, that things aren't adding up. Like, what does he want to go to school for in Seattle at age 29? I mean, I applaud people that want to go back to school, but. It feels like in the story that you described, and I hope that you forgive me, Jerry, for making any assumptions, but it feels like that you don't know fundamentally a ton about him. I don't understand why he wants to talk about science and tech and is mad at you for not wanting to talk about those things. Like, even if that's your passion, it feels a little arbitrary. At first, I was offended and hurt, but, you know, ultimately, I was like, well, that's your preference. I respect it, and I respect for being honest with me. I mean, that's not how I personally view a relationship, but, you know, that's personal. So I kind of just, like, brushed it off, and then he eventually reached out to me. And he's like, well, I think maybe I'm expecting too much from you. Maybe we should just talk again. And that's been an ongoing pattern with him, like, even on our first date. We went out, we met up, and then he's like, uh, yeah, I'm not really feeling this. And then later on, he messages me again, and he's like, well, what if we meet in a more private setting? And at first I thought, you know, stranger danger, but it just turned out that he liked more private settings and liked that more one-on-one -on -one conversation. And then that's where the relationship started because he felt more comfortable. But then again, another break, and then another break. And then he does this thing where when he gets upset, uh, it's something that I do. He just shuts me out. And then he resumes like nothing happened until I like reach out to him. Like recently, about a week ago, he wanted me to drive up to where he lives. He lives, he lives like an hour away from where I live. And I, I forgot that I was supposed to go up there. And then I try to make some weird joke about it. And then he got upset. And then rather than 
talking to me about it. He just hangs up and then stops talking to me for like about two to three days. And then I recently messaged him again. I said, hey, what's going on? Like, are we still together? Like, talk to me. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm cool. Um, just got upset. Uh, hey, do you want to come up here on, uh, you know, on so-and-so day? I was like, do you realize what just happened? So I don't know if I'm just making up excuses for his lack of dating experience or, or, or if he's just not invested. And that's, that's, where, that's to the point that I don't want to get to, to where I'm making excuses for him. It's like, oh, well, he hasn't dated enough. Oh, well, this is his first gay relationship. Oh, well, you know, he was insecure with his homosexuality to begin with. Could be both. And Jerry, what do you like about him? I like that I am able to be myself with him and that he's not like me. Like, we have different interests and uh, he has different views and I do not too much. But I can feel intellectually challenged with him. I feel like I can learn from him. And, you know, I, I really enjoy my time with him. But again, it, I feel like I shouldn't invest as much as I sh- have been. And that, which is why I've been kind of emotionally holding back a bit. But even that doesn't feel genuine. I feel like your gut is telling you something here. I, I don't know if I, I adore this fella for you, Jerry. I think that you may be at a place in your life where, where the chase or like the idea of a partner is sort of more intriguing than the reality. I don't know. I've definitely been there many a time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the behavior pattern that you've presented to us for you at all. I think that that you should uh, be with somebody who who adds up who isn't like dangling the threat of like moving away or whatever. Not saying that that's a threat necessarily. If for, you know, most of the time in your relationship, you don't feel great or you feel uneasy or insecure or whatever, then that's not great. That's not great for you. And that will only continue. Like usually that doesn't reverse itself where suddenly it's like, oh, yes, now this person is making me feel like I'm brilliant and handsome and whatever, and I can do anything. I can take on the world. That, that just usually doesn't happen. So I'm not crazy about this guy for you. You seem amazing. And I, I yeah. And yeah, I, he needs to put a down payment on the car. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's right. <laughs> And I would say try mirroring his behavior and see where he meets you. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I don't know, when I was a kid and I really wanted Ryan to call me, I would leave the phone off the hook because I just thought on the off chance that he would try to call me, I wouldn't even know about it. So I'm just going to leave the phone off the hook and that way he'll just get a busy signal. He never tried to call me, by the way. But my parents just got mad at me for leaving the phone off the hook um, <laughs> a lot. But but at least it was my insurance to, like, I'm protecting myself because I know this probably isn't going to happen. And so, but I, and I cannot wait around all night. I hope night. Ryan's listening. I, you know, I did call him <laughs> once a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, "Hey, remember me? I wrote a whole diary about you." <laughs> he was like, "Oh yeah." I don't know, Jerry. If this is at all helpful, I don't know about this dude, and I, I and I do, you know, I want you to to protect yourself. And with any luck, we will all go through heartbreak yeah. in our lives, in various stages. But I do think that. You're already clocking these early warning signs, and the mystery doesn't doesn't fully add up. And yeah. I want you to feel protected. Thank you very much. Hang in there, Jer Bear. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for being so open. Please be in touch. Again, highly appreciate it, you guys. Thank Alrighty. you so much. give amazing advice. I was more nervous about this, about meeting you, than I've been in quite a long time. It was my pleasure. Yes. I had such a nice, enjoyable time, and, and I, I think we just changed these people's lives. How does this end? 
Well, we just go like this. I love you, dear listeners. Bye-bye. <laughs> You're afraid to say I love you. I love you, dear listeners. Bye-bye. <laughs> I still want chips. Hey, dear listeners, check out season two of Under a Rock with Tig Notaro, which premieres online November 5th.